we're going to look at Peter Scazzaro's best-selling book, uh, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, uh, which there are copies of that available at the counter if you wanted to, but um, that's at the full price, I think, twenty four ninety nine to buy that book. That's what we're going to be preaching from on a Sunday. But then where we all get together and activate ourselves is from Monday to Friday by using this book, which is a companion uh, devotional to the, the main book that he wrote. Uh, it's the day-by-day uh, daily office devotional. Normally it's a $22 book, but we're discounting it to $10 so everyone can get access to it. If that still is outside your budget, that's okay. Come and tell me. I will give you a free copy because I don't want anybody to miss out on this. I would love for every single person in our church to be doing this together. Um, so a little bit of math this morning because I, I love numbers, not. Um, but turns out there is four, 1,440 minutes every day. You and I allocated the same amount of time, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you do, 1,440 minutes a day. And what we're proposing is that we would put aside 10 of those, 1,440, to do this devotional five days a week. So how it will work, uh, on Sunday we'll preach a chapter, so today will be chapter one, and then for the next five days we will use this guide to go through uh, the devotions from Monday to Friday, and we're going to put aside 10 minutes a day, five in the morning, five in the afternoon or evening, whatever you can, just to prioritize and uh, center ourselves around God and what He's doing. So it's a real simple devotional. Uh, it'll tie back in a little bit with the message on the Sunday, but it's just about creating spaces and stuff for us to be uh, engaged with God and present with Him. So grab that after the service. There'll be plenty of copies there. That would be brilliant. But before I start getting into this, I want to just do a little bit of... Um, background work and share some stuff and this is something I've shared with a handful of people before in like a smaller setting but I've, I've never shared this stuff on a grand scale on a Sunday with everybody but I think it's important for uh, me to every now and then just share a little bit of what's going on in Anna and I in, in our heart regard to the church and, and where we're going and where we see things and for the last tw- we've been in ministry now for 20 years um and that's not 20 years combined, that's 20 years each in ministry. I know what you're thinking, how is that possible? You guys look so young. <laughs> you, you look like you're about 21. I know, I know. We were just like Jesus, born from the very beginning into ministry. Um, but believe it or not, we have been in ministry for 20 years. This year we've been married for 20 years. And so uh, I, calm down, calm down. Today's about Pete and his 40th tomorrow, so not about me. Um, but in that 20 years of ministry, we have seen, seen some things. Like when you hang around people often enough and interact with people, you see things. You see the highs, you see the lows, you see the triumphs, you see the tragedies. We've been there when new life has been born. We've been there when, uh, when uh, life has passed away and, uh, and new marriages and all sorts of things have happened in the life of the church. And it's certainly been a roller coaster. And so a few years ago, we were reflecting um, just on the lives of a few people and beautiful people who love God, love the church, been involved in, uh, in the life of the church for ages, but things started to fall apart at the seams for them. Character issues started to develop inside of them. The, the love of money and acclamation was uh, prevalent in their life and they would rarely stop to actually enjoy their family, their lives and what God had actually entrusted to them. They were exhausted in every single way imaginable, but did nothing to remedy that exhaustion to make themselves better. And we noticed that this was not, only, not an uncommon thing. This was happening more 
and more in the lives of beautiful people who we love dearly, but for whatever reason had just been caught up in the business and fast-pacedness of life that has just left them feeling completely flattened and exhausted. And as we thought about this, and obviously we're praying for these people and, um, and, and contemplating this, we, we, we were reminded of the scripture in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, where Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let me ask you this question, in light of that passage, do you feel that in your life today? Do you feel this sense of ease or lightness? Do you feel like there's rest in your soul? Because this is the life that Jesus promises. Jesus doesn't promise that He will burden you down with weights beyond that you can bear. He will not overwork you. He will not stress you out. He will not. That's not the life that Jesus offers. Right here from His lips, come to me all who are heavy laden, all who labor, and I will give you rest. This is what He is promising us. So if we don't feel that, if our life is not marked by this sense of rest in our soul, peace in our life, this lightness, this ease, then either Jesus is a liar or maybe perhaps we've got a few things out of whack in what we've chosen to prioritize in our life that has burdened us to the point of unnecessary excessivism, if that makes sense. What? Don't correct me, woman, publicly. <laughs> I, if I choose to make a fool of myself with words, I, am, I will do that and sit in that. But you are right. Security, can you escort her from the building, please? We don't want any of that. But that's, that's the reality, right? Either Jesus is a liar or we have somehow got our priorities out of whack if we're not feeling that. Now, I'm not saying that everything's always going to feel rosy and awesome and light. There's going to be moments where life is tough and stressful and, and we have a bit of hardship and stuff like that. But generally, through all those things, we, we must have. Jesus offers us this life where His peace is in the very core of our existence. And so, in this 20 years of ministry, we, we've noticed um, and observed and been a part of and engaged in this emphasis on growth. We've got to grow the church. We've got to dominate the world. We've got to grow. And this has been uh, a permeating thing, at least in the circles we have rolled in, where growth is what we're chasing. We've got to grow. We've got to grow. And, and some point, sometimes it's been even to the point of obsessive um, emphasis on this stuff. You know, I remember we, we've been in conferences and different things and meeting different people. And, and the first question we're asked is, how big is your church? How many people you got? Well, why is that the first question? Like, why is that even relevant? Like, aren't we doing the same thing? Aren't we trying to have the, on the same team here trying to, to, to help people love Jesus and discover why is it about the numbers and why is why is bums on seats the metric for success in God's kingdom why is it why isn't the metric for success changed lives why isn't the metric for success quality why is it quantity 
Maybe that's just the way human nature is designed. And we've seen really good people being chewed up and spat out. If I'm being too honest, I apologize, but I'm just being real. But we have seen really, really good people being chewed up and spat out in the name of advancing the kingdom of God, which does sound like a noble cause, right? But when it comes to the kingdom, the end never justifies the means. So we can't burn people out and chew through people because we're trying to advance the kingdom and you, you get on the bus or you're going to get run over. It's like, no, 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 no. That's kind of not what it's really all about. And so in this, we, we've seen when, when growth becomes the emphasis, then evangelism and events become the priority. And neither of those things are bad. I love events. I love evangelism. They're, they're super important. But, um, but if, if, if everything's just fueled by the growth thing, then I think what we do is we, we can tolerate things that aren't healthy in order to meet the goal of growth. And see, not everything that grows is healthy. But everything that is healthy grows. So if we focus on health, then we know it's going to grow. But if we focus on growth, we can tolerate things that are unhealthy because the goal isn't health itself, it's actually growth. Does that make sense? So 1 Corinthians verse three, chapter 3, verse 6 says this. Apostle Paul's talking. I planted, Apollos watered, and it was God that brought the growth. Really simple passage. I planted, I started it, Apollos came through, he watered it, he looked after it, but God caused the growth. God grows the church. That's His job. Our job is to care for it. We plant, we water. We sow, we nurture. We are generous, we are caring. When we do this, God takes care of the growth part. The reason so many people can feel burnt out from the church is because they're possibly trying to do a job that isn't theirs to do possibly focusing too much on growing the church when actually that's God's job description. Your job description is simply to be the church and love the church and God will take care of the rest. So for us, we want to shift the focus from... Now obviously, what we, we want growth. We don't want it to shrink the church. You know, the, the Great Commission is pretty clear to go into all the world and make disciples. Like... We are outward focused. We're not navel gazers. We're looking to the world that's out there that needs reaching and needs helping. But that's not our primary goal. Our primary goal is health. And if we've used in the past events and evangelism to get growth, then I kind of think if, if we've shifted from growth being the primary focus, then for us, discipleship is going to be the vehicle to take us there. Genuine discipleship. Now, discipleship is not a four-week course that you do and tick a box, you're a disciple. Discipleship is is looking at our life holistically and how we lay it down to be better followers of Jesus Christ. How do we let the Holy Spirit and the Word of God permeate every area of our life so that we can be followers of Jesus? Because here's the thing. You can be an evangelist and not be a disciple. I've met many of them. People who will get on street corners and evangelize, talk about God and this and that. Then they'll go and get blonde drunk with a mate and smoke a couple of bongs and have a good old time. Their life isn't marked by the transformative power of the Holy Spirit in them. They're simply going through the motions of evangelizing, but without being a disciple of Jesus themselves. However, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus and not evangelize. Because that's exactly what it means to be a disciple, is to be a follower of Jesus and be about Jesus' business. And what did Jesus do? He went into all the world and... 
the, brought the gospel. So we bring the gospel, we bring the good news. But it starts with being a disciple. It starts with being a follower. It starts with looking at the inside of us and letting that flow out from us. So last year, Anna and I, um, in light of all this, we put a few days aside to, to dream, to pray, to seek God, to get some clarity about, because we've had this feeling for the last few years of the growth thing didn't feel like it was a, a, a coat that fit us very well, but we felt like health was definitely the thing we want to focus on and work on in, in the life of the church. Um, but we wanted just to seek God for, for clarity. So we spent a few days just praying, dreaming, writing a whole bunch of stuff down and trying to get real refined clarity on the kind of church that we see. And so these are just a couple of points from those few days together. We wrote this, we see people who have a healthy relationship with Jesus and other people. This is the church we see. We see people whose spiritual health comes from experiencing and understanding God himself, not just a secondhand interpretation. See, see I, I should not be your primary source of spiritual input. I, I, I see myself as a supplement, as a complement to what you would normally do with Jesus himself in your personal de- devotional life. I'm here to come alongside and cheer you on and encourage you and help you in that. But you cannot get your primary spiritual nourishment or formation from me, from a podcast, from a YouTube clip, from a book. It's from God himself. And, and that's the beauty of Jesus is he died on the cross to make a way for us to be that mediator between us and God that we now have direct access to him, not via a priest, not via a book, not via a podcast, but directly through Jesus himself. And so, so for me, I'm supplementary to that. Um, we see Sunday services as a place to worship together and celebrate the goodness of God, which we do today. A centralized place where we serve others and receive ministry, training, and impartation. We see midweek groups uh, less as a formalized structure and more of an intentional expression of each individual outworking the spirit of hospitality in their life. What does that mean? It means don't wait to be invited, invite. People who are actively seeking to add value to others wherever they go, in whatever situation they find themselves in. We see missions as the natural overflow of what God is doing in us individually and collectively. So this time together helped us then. So that's sort of how we feel, what we church we see, but we wanted to refine that into really simple terms. Because we, we, we know that the church over the years has borrowed a lot from uh, the secular business realm and has put sort of templates on it like biz, vision statement, mission statement, values, and which I'm all for those sorts of things, but it's never fit well with me of having this um, organizational structure of a church when the church really by definition is more of an organism a collective people, God's chosen people, rather than a structured organization. And so, so that's why I've always wrestled with having a corporate type um, approach to the church. So we, we did spend time thinking about, well, God, what is the vision? What, you know, what could someone say if they were coming to our church that we're all about? So it's really clear. And so we come up with two simple things. We couldn't think of it any simpler as than this. To be with Jesus... And be like Jesus. What's C3 Cops Arbor all about? Uh, we're just trying to help people be with Jesus and help people be like Jesus. That's it. And so what does be with Jesus mean? Well, that means um, building a healthy relationship with God. 
That's what it means to be with Jesus. So that looks at all the spiritual disciplines and, and prayer, reading the Word and worship, and all those things that actually help us connect with God. That's being with Jesus. And then being like Jesus is building healthy relationships with others. It's outworking what God has done in us into the world around us. And so that really is um, what we see our church being and, and emphasizing around for the future. And all of this comes from a posture inside of us where we, it's, it's nothing about what we want from you. It's completely about what we want for you. Everything that we talk about, everything we do, everything we plan is, is not to get you to serve more, to give more, to be more. It's because of what we see uh, we want for you. And sometimes we need to serve and sometimes we need to give and, and push past that stuff because there is blessing on the other side of our obedience. There's blessing on the other side of our serving and doing and giving that God wants for us and that's what we want for you. So we believe that focusing on the health of the church, we believe that uh, being like Jesus and being with Jesus sets us up to encounter and enjoy the life that we just looked at that Jesus promised in Matthew 11, this light and easy life where our soul finds rest. When we focus on health, our soul will find rest and we'll actually enjoy the life that Jesus promised for us. And if you are astute and you have your finger on the pulse this probably wouldn't be a surprise to you. And we've been very, very strategic with our teaching series over the last two and a half years. Um, even pre-COVID, we started to touch on this stuff, looking at how to unhurry. We did that in February 2020, and then COVID hit after that, so it sort of prepared us to literally not hurry. Um, and then our first series in, in lockdown and online church was going through the book of Romans, about who we are in Christ, what God has done for us, and who we now are. We looked at above all else, Spiritual Disciplines through Richard Foster's book, um, The Celebration of Discipline. We looked at the standard last year, six months going through the book uh, of uh, Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest message ever. And we spent a lot of time just going through what does Jesus teach about life, about the kingdom? And let's, how do we align ourselves with that? And uh, Colossians we looked at, and then we've just come off a series from Romans 12 looking at how worship is more than a song, but actually a life to be lived to bring glory and honor to God. And that leads us to today, world's longest introduction of a message ever. Uh, this series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And so we're going to go through, as I said, Peter Scazzaro's book um, of the same name. So chapter one is the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. That's chapter one. Before we go, let's pray. God, I thank you for... Uh, what we're about to talk through next, I pray that you would open every single one of our hearts and minds to receive the truth of what you have for us. Lord, we didn't come here just to spectate, but participate in what you're doing here, Lord God. We didn't come here for information, Lord, but we came here for transformation, Lord, to become more like you in all that we do, that you would take away our past and position us with a beautiful future that we can start in the present here today. Lord, would you bless these last few moments we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this chapter, Schizero believes that very few people, very few people emerge out of their families of origin as emotionally healthy or mature. We just, we just don't. We've got to figure this sort of stuff out in life. It's not something that's really on the, the agenda in families, unfortunately. It's on our agenda here, though. Um, he emphasizes that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable, stating that it's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. 
Let me say it again. He's saying it is impossible to be spiritually mature, and most of us like to think that we are, but we can't be spiritually mature if we are emotionally immature. And then he encourages us to um, look at every aspect of our life, of our life holistically. Okay, so I'm going to give a little practical example. Hopefully, that will help uh, you. In this. So I'm going to get Joe and Anna and Lynn and Rian. Uh, actually, Joe, you can stay there. Uh, I'll get Brennan and Ollie. You guys come up here. The five of you. You've already had your time on stage, so that's okay. Um, so I don't want to go to your head too much. You know how it is. Um, so all you're going to do is stand there, guys. I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise. Except maybe my wife, because she's already done it to me. So payback is wonderful. So just just spread out. So remember the show. Um, I forget his name now. Um, Captain Planet. Remember the show Captain Planet? And and you'd have fire, wind, water, earth, whatever. And with our powers combined, we are Captain Planet. And then like you fought this one dude that would save the planet. It was like, yeah, so awesome. Anyway, Bo Green. So Schizero sort of says that, that each of us as humans, our humanity is made up of five parts. So spiritual, physical, social, intellectual, and emotional, right? This is what makes us us. There are five components to our life. Physical, spiritual, physical, like how I made you physical? Yeah, yeah, I did. Uh, Social, intellectual, and emotional. Now, here's what happens. We would never, now if we personalize these things, we would never go, you know what, um... I'm going to starve you. I'm going to neglect you and starve you. And so then 20% of what makes us us is actually starving and decrepit and dying. We wouldn't do that, right? So, if, for example, if you are spiritual, so what we do is we, we, we notice there's a spiritual deficit in our life. So we might go, okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to worship. Uh, if you're not a Christian, you might get into tarot cards or, or some eastern philosophy you might try and do something in a spiritual realm to fill that void in your spirit to make you feel more alive or healthy in that space uh, we would say jesus is the way the truth and life the only thing that's going to truly satisfy you spiritually but others have their difference of opinion but the point is if we notice a spiritual deficit we will do things in a spiritual way to help that likewise physically if we notice that we're weak or we're unhealthy or we're sick or whatever we will take supplements, we'll get that medicine, we might start going to the gym, we might start looking to, to eat healthy foods and get a little bit in better shape physically. Um, intellectually, we might go, you know what, I'm feeling a bit dumb. So I'm going to Google some stuff and get a little bit smarter. Or I'm going to go and study that course. Or I'm going to go to school again or whatever it is. We, we always will look at ways if we find ourselves having a deficit intellectually of boosting that up. So, um, same likewise socially, we might go, I feel lonely. I don't have many friends. And there's this void in my heart of loneliness. And so the social person inside of us goes, well, I need help. I'm going to invite a friend for coffee. I'm going to go to movies with my mates or whatever it is so we can get that social self built up. But what happens oftentimes, our poor friend, Mr. Emotion, when we feel these emotions inside of us, we don't know what to do, so we just ignore it. And we don't address stuff and anger issues start to boil out. Resentment, bitterness, gossip, all these, these emotions in us, and we know there's an emotional wrestle, we know there's something going on inside of us, but we, we fail to address it. We'll, we'll happily address all these issues pretty confidently, but something about the emotional side of us goes neglected and unattended to, which is sad. And it's like, if I had five kids, I've got three, but if I had five, I could not imagine 
just feeding, nourishing, caring for, looking after the four that are pretty easy and pretty straightforward, and the one that I'm just not sure about, that I don't really have a category for, I'm just not going to feed them, not going to clothe them, not going to do whatever, I'm just going to let them wither away. I could never imagine that, but we self-sabotage all the time by doing that with our emotions, oftentimes, which is why there is so much um, emotional unhealthiness in society, because we fail to actually look inside of us and deal with this stuff. And as Christians, what we do is we go, oh, no, no, it's not emotional. It's actually more of a spiritual thing. So I've got to pray more. I've got to read the Bible more. And it's not, no, 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 it's actually emotional. We've got to deal with this sort of stuff. That's a different thing. But we can sort of throw the spiritual cloak over that and hope that it goes away. But you are who you are. It doesn't go away. Because we've got to deal with our emotions in an emotional capacity to get healthy in that area. So does that make the point? Thank you, guys. You may go have a seat. Beautiful. Ignoring any aspect of who we are as men and women made in God's image always results in destructive consequences in a relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves. Now, what time have I got? Whew, beautiful. Four and a half hours. <laughs> so in, in chapter one, um, Schizero lists the top ten, ten symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So I'm going to try and just run through these fairly quickly. Um, if you wanted to buy the book and you can read a bit more deeply, feel free to do that. So the first is, the first symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality is using God to run from God. It's filling our time with Christian activity rather than actively being a Christian. We fill our time with activation to avoid the hard work of slowing down to address the issues of our heart that will lead to our transformation. Some examples might be doing God's work to satisfy me, not Him. Doing things in God's name that He never asked me to do in the first place. Praying for God to do my will rather than surrendering to His will. Demonstrating Christian behaviors so that significant people will think well of me. Exaggerating my accomplishments for God to subtly compete with others. Using Scripture to justify the sinful parts of my life instead of evaluating them under God's lordship and authority. Applying biblical truth selectively to avoid anything that would require making significant life changes. And look, some of this stuff is going to agitate you. Some of this stuff is going to poke a finger right into a sore spot in your heart and in your soul. And it did, does to me. As I'm reading, as I'm studying this, as I'm preparing this message, this is what's happening to me. And I know that I'm an average person like everybody else. There's nothing super special about me. So I kind of think, well, if I feel this stuff, then others are going to feel it too. So what I'm saying is if you feel that agitation, if you feel that poke in that sore spot of your heart or soul, lean into it. Because it's an opportunity for you to grow and get healthier. It's an opportunity for you to actually address some of the stuff that probably has been left unaddressed for too long and is causing a bit of an unhealthy emotional life for you. Um, the second symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, ignoring anger, sadness, and fear. Many Christians believe wholeheartedly that anger, sadness, and fear are sins to be avoided. When we feel these emotions, we sh we're sure it's an indication that something is wrong in our spiritual life. 
Yet these feelings will still rise up in us. So what do we do? We inflate ourselves with a false sense of confidence to make those feelings go away. We might speak, pray, or declare scriptures, whatever we can to avoid being overwhelmed by these emotions. However, to feel is to be human. To minimize or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of God. Sadly, some of our misguided Christian beliefs and expectations have, as Thomas Merton wrote, merely deadened our humanity instead of setting it free to develop richly in all its capacities under the influence of God's grace. What does all that mean? I honestly don't really know. (laughs) What it means is, it's unhealthy to ignore your feelings of anger, sadness and fear. And to somehow throw that spiritual blanket over it and go, oh, I'll just pray more. I'll just quote scriptures more. No, no, well, those feelings are there for a reason. It's like the lights on your dashboard alerting you to a deeper problem. And you, you can grab a bit of duct tape all you like and put it over that engine light. Oh, I hope it'll go away. But it's telling you that there's something wrong. And if you're constantly feeling a sense of anger or bitterness or fear or sadness, lean in and listen to those emotions that God gave you because they're warning lights of what's going on in, in a deeper part of your life. And that's, that's the beauty of our humanness, that God gives us these emotions, these feelings, to be able to address the things that are causing those lights to flash in our heart. Number three. Now, just full dis- disclaimer, this is not supposed to be like a real downer today. Um, but sometimes in order for the good news to be really good news, we need to fully understand the bad news. And, and so the bad news is just identifying where we might be emotionally. And then the next seven weeks are going to be really practical, helpful steps in our process of becoming emotionally healthier together. So the third symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality is dying to the wrong things. Some people in the name of following God take too rigidly Jesus' words when he says, deny yourself and follow me. And in doing so, they leave behind all the exciting, creative and brilliant parts of them that God has gifted them with in order to become a bland, robotic Christian machine. God has endowed each of us with essential qualities that reflect and express Him in a unique way. In fact, an essential part of the sanctification process, becoming more like Jesus, is allowing the Holy Spirit to strip away the false construct, which is the sinful stuff that we have accumulated so that our true selves in Christ, the sensational stuff, can emerge and be fully brought to the fore. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you deny all of yourself. You deny the sinful part of yourself that has separated you from God. But there is so much beauty in God that, that God has put inside of us that needs to be brought to the light to bring Him glory and honor and proclaim His goodness to this whole world. God doesn't call us to be colorless. He calls us to be colorful. Number four, denying the impact of the past on the present. Yes, it is true when we come to Christ, our sins are wiped away and we're given a new identity and a brand new life. It is truly a wonderful miracle. However, we need to understand that this doesn't mean that our past won't continue to influence us in different ways. While we don't want to dwell in the past, we also don't want to deny the past either. And sometimes in order to be emotionally healthy, we need to go back in order to break uh, free from the unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving others and loving God the way He designed us to. So we don't deny the past, but we also don't dwell there. But sometimes we've got to revisit that 
to deal with it so we can move and be free from it into the future. Hello, Joe. <laughs> Subtle. Subtle, I like it. If you're new to church, this means wrap it up. Wrap it up. I said 4 p.m., Joe. This is way early. Number five. Oh, this one's, oh, okay, here we go. Dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. Humans have an uncanny ability to live compartmentalized and double lives. Here's a few fictitious examples that we might be able to relate to. This is from the book, verbatim. So I've made these up to try and, you know, subtly correct people publicly, right? This is just from the book. Frank attends church and sings about God's love. On the way home, he pronounces death over another driver who cut him off in traffic. For Frank, Sunday and church is for God, but Monday to Saturday is for work. Jane yells at her husband, berating him for his lack of spiritual leadership with the children. He walks away feeling deflated and crushed. crushed. She walks away convinced she has fought valiantly in the name of God. Ken is disciplined has a disciplined devotional time with God every day before going to work. But then does not think about God's presence being with him throughout the day or even when he returns home to be with his family. Judith cries during songs about the love of God and the grace of God at church, but she regularly complains and blames others for the difficulties and trials that she faces in her own life. It's so easy to compartmentalize God, relegating Him to Christian activities around the church and our spiritual disciplines without thinking of Him in the way we navigate our marriages, discipline our children, spend our money, or even enjoy our recreation. According to a recent U.S. study of evangelical Christians, um, it showed that they are likely to embrace a lifestyle every bit as hedonistic, materialistic, self-centered, and sexually immoral, immoral as the world in general. They found that church members divorce their spouses as often as secular neighbors do, They found that church members' giving patterns indicate they are almost as materialistic as non-Christians. And a growing number of younger Christians think that cohabitation is acceptable prior to marriage. So when we compartmentalize our life and God, then I think we do a very poor example of demonstrating a life that's been transformed by the power of God. Because Jesus didn't just die on a cross for us to have an awesome experience on a Sunday. He, he died on the cross for us to live every breathing moment of our life being led by His Spirit to help others for their good, our joy and His glory. And it's important that, that the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the presence of God permeates every area of our life our marriages, our families, our workplace, how we spend our money, um, our our bodies and our physical health, all of it should be um, informed and transformed by God. Number six, doing for God instead of being with God. Work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated by other things such as ego, power, needing approval of and from others and buying into the wrong ideas of what success is actually is. Our experiential sense of worth and validation gradually shifts from God's unconditional love for us in Christ to our works and our performance. 
the joy of Christ then gradually disappears. Free to go. You guys are doing so well. Number seven is spiritualizing away conflict. Very few of us come from families in which conflicts are resolved in a mature and healthy way. Superficially smoothing things over or sweeping them under the rug has become the primary way that many of us deal with conflict. If I'm being honest, myself included. I do not like conflict. And I have a kind of personality that will smooth it over and tuck it under the rug, if I'm honest. So this is an area where I feel poked and prodded. And this method is something Christians have adopted over the years. Believing it to be, we kind of convince ourselves that by doing this is a pathway to being the peacemaker. But really we're just avoiding difficult conversations. All we're doing is burying the tensions and moving on as if they never existed. Some of us may be guilty of the following. Saying something to people's, saying one thing to people's face and other things behind their back. Making promises to people that we have no intention of keeping. We give in because we're afraid of not being liked. We tell only half the truth because we don't want to hurt people's feelings. We say yes to stuff when we really mean no. We avoid, withdraw, and cut ourselves off from others. Jesus shows us that healthy Christians don't need to avoid conflict. He refused to spiritualize conflict avoidance. And yes, Jesus was tender and loving like a lamb, but also he was ferocious like a lion. And we worship him in spirit and truth because spirit and truth is the, the spirit with which he operated. And he would have difficult conversations. He would confront those Pharisees and religious leaders who were corrupt and have those difficult conversations. He wouldn't just smooth it over, put it under the rug, bury it and pretend it doesn't exist. He would confront it. And so we as a church, as, he, as his ambassadors, have an opportunity here to grow emotionally by learning how to do these quite difficult things. Number eight, covering our brokenness, weakness or failure. The pressure to present an image of ourselves as strong and spiritually together hovers over all of us. However, the Bible does not spin the flaws and the weaknesses of its heroes. It confronts them. It owns them. If I was one of the authors of the Bible writing about my life, I would delete all the bad crap that I did to make myself look awesome and amazing. But the Bible doesn't do that. Moses was a murderer. David was an adulterer. Hosea's wife was a prostitute. Peter rebuked God and denied him. Jacob was a liar. There are so many characters and people in the Bible that were broken, weak, flawed, and failed. The key is to neither cover nor celebrate our brokenness, but to acknowledge it as part of God's redemptive plan to grow us in the image of Christ and develop our emotional and spiritual health. Because we can put, and Christians, we, we joke about this, but long before COVID, Christians wore masks to church all the time um, because we want to present as having it together and that somehow being vulnerable and weak is a reflection on, on a, a lower level of spirituality that, that you're on and it's all about progression and being at the best. It's like, no, no, we are all broken. 
God is looking for broken people to pour His perfect love into. It's in our weakness that His strength is made perfect. That's what God's after. So we just got to not celebrate our weaknesses. Yeah, I, I see so many Christians that do the opposite. Like they celebrate their sinfulness. Like, oh, I'm just a sinner. Yeah, uh, but yeah, but we don't, we're not celebrating that. We're not covering it up. We're just bringing it before God. Living without limits. I'm going to rush through this. I, I apologize. But some Christians are too selfish. They believe in God, but their life, they don't live their lives as though He actually exists. They don't think or care about loving or serving others outside their families or friends. This is a tragedy. Some Christians are too selfless. They carry around guilt for never doing enough. This guilt often leads to disengagement and isolation from needy people because they don't know what else to do. This too is a tragedy. The core spiritual issue here relates to our limits and humanity. We are not God. We cannot solve every person's problem or meet every person's need. So many Christians, along with the rest of culture, are frantic, exhausted, overloaded, and hurried. Few of us make the connection between love of self and love of others. Sadly, many Christians have believed that the lie that taking care of themselves is actually a sin. We can't give what we don't have. We can't pour out from an empty bucket. We need to look after ourselves in order to look after others. We need to have the energy inside of us to be able to pour into other people. And that is good and healthy and sustainable for your future. The last thing, number 10, 10th symptom of emotionally unhealthy spirituality, judging other people's spiritual journey. An old monk proverb is this, the monk must die to his neighbor and never judge him at all in any way whatsoever. If you're occupied with your own faults, you have no time to see those of your neighbor. Many of us have no trouble at all dispensing advice or pointing out wrongdoing. We spend so much time at it that we end up self-deceived, thinking we have so much to give and therefore little to receive from others. After all, we're the ones who are right, aren't we? This often leads to an inability to receive from ordinary, less mature people than ourselves. We only receive from professionals and experts because they're the only ones who've got anything to offer us because we are up here. Jesus, sorry, this has always been one of the greatest dangers in Christianity the us versus them mentality. In Jesus' day, there was a superior group and inferior group. The superior group were the Pharisees, the religious rulers. The inferior group were the sinners, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes. When we categorize people and judge their spiritual journey, we fail to let others be themselves before God and move at their own pace. We inevitably project onto them our own discomfort with their choices to live differently than we do. Don't forget, Jesus came for the inferior, the broken. If we project perfection, we're projecting ourselves at Jesus' level or higher. We can learn from everybody. The pathway to unleashing the transformative power of Jesus to heal our spiritual lives is found in the joining of emotional health and contemplative spirituality. We've got to look after our emotions look into our emotions, dissect them, assess them, and grow through them. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at seven steps on the pathway to emotionally healthy spirituality. Along the way, along the journey, 
for the next 40 days? I ask you, can you take 10 minutes out of 1,440 each day to be present with God and present with yourself and reflect and think about these things? Will you spend the time to look after poor Brendan here, our emotional person, who's starving, neglected, malnourished? Will will we stop throwing a superficial blanket of spirituality over our emotional life and hoping that it all just goes away if we pray more or believe more, have more faith? All, all that does is, is we buy into superstition rather than being transformed by the supernatural. The supernatural is, being, is worshiping God in spirit and truth. It's taking off that cloak and going, God, this is who I really am. This is what's going on inside of me. Why do I feel anger? Why do I feel pain? Why do I treat people like this? Why do I feel jealous? Why do I feel insecure? And bring those things to the surface. And allowing God to challenge you, allow this book to challenge you, allow your friends to challenge you as we grow together in this. And our goal is not world domination. Our primary goal is not that this church grows, although we'd love it to. Our primary goal is that this church would be healthy. Physically, spiritually, intellectually, socially, and emotionally. That your whole self as a human being created in God's image would be healthy. And healthy things grow. Healthy things mature. Healthy things bring life to other things. Healthy things create a legacy that will replicate and multiply in their wake. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the growth. So together, let's focus on planting seeds of faith and truth. Let's water and nurture our spirit, our soul, the church. Let's have a focus and authority on our health and the health of others and show genuine love and care and compassion and kindness and generosity. And then let's wait and watch to see what God does next. We'll take care of what we can take care of and trust God to take care of what He takes care of, which is the growth. Let me pray.